Yes, Jesus is our deliverance. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Ephesians 6, 17. God spoke this to me, and he continuously is speaking it to me. And I put my name at the beginning of the scripture. So I say, it, this is, I feel God is saying to me, Cindy, embrace the fullness of salvation's deliverance. Accept it gladly. Receive it readily. Embrace it. Take it. Embrace the fullness of salvation's deliverance because that's what you need. That's what my children need. It's a helmet of salvation to protect their thoughts from the lies of everything that's going on in their specific needs, in their specific lives, in the situation in their lives. And when we put our eyes on Jesus and the finished work of the cross and the facets of what he did for us, the immensity of what he did in every little piece, it, it protects our thoughts from lies in that specific area. Um, the other night, I think it was Sunday night, Kent and I pulled out the Passion of Christ. Actually, we found it on um, video, Prime, Prime Video, because our, our DVD is in storage. So we found it, and we watched it again. And wow, what Jesus did for us. It's incomprehensible. It is so great, so huge. Last week, we talked about several facets of the fullness of our salvation's deliverance, and we're going to continue with that tonight. But I want to just rewind and refresh your heart and mine on what we talked about last week. I'm just going to quickly go through these. But when I'm in my quiet time with God, this is what I do. I take time to meditate on these things and more that Jesus provided for us at the cross in his passion, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. So first of all, Jesus was judged for our sins. But that's not all. He took what we deserved. Humanity deserved judgment of sin. The wages of sin was death. Jesus took it for all of us. We're going to read more scripture about that tonight. But he paid the price in full. But that's not all. He didn't just remove sin from us. He did remove sin. He remitted sin. That means it was eliminated from our souls completely. But that's not all. He gave us his righteousness. That's why I entitled this message, Trade It Up. Because everything that we've been delivered from, God traded up in such a huge way that there's not even any comparison. He took our sin and he gave us his righteousness. Father God sees us as righteous as he sees Jesus. That's enough to blow me away. Because I am, a, I'm, you know, I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. None of us are perfect. But our soul, our spirit, not our soul, our spirit is perfected. We have been made righteous. So that's number one. Number two, Jesus experienced death to defeat death's hold on us, to defeat the power of death, to rescue us, to deliver us from eternal death. But there's way more because he traded up. And in its place, he gave us eternal 
life. Forever Zoe, forever the fullness, God's fullness of life. This isn't the word that means God bless you, honey. <laughs> this isn't the word that means physical life. That's another word in, in the Bible. This word literally means God's kind of life now and for eternity. That's number two. Number three that we talked about last week, Jesus gave up his physical life to give us the fullness of life here in the physical realm, the fullness of life. He spoke, Jesus spoke these words and he said, the thief came only in order to steal, kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I came that you might have a life abundant, more than you can expect. I love it when God does that. I love it when we see him in our lives, pouring out blessings and favor, more than we can dream, desire, imagine, more than we can even expect. That's trading up. Instead of being under the, the purpose of the enemy and, and being you know, stolen from and destroyed and, and attempted to be our, our, the life taken away from us in either our physical life or the life of our, our marriage or the life of our career or the life of our dreams or the life of our desires. No, Jesus traded up and he gave us fullness, fullness of life. Number four, Jesus suffered rejection and abandonment so that we could have full acceptance. This one stood out so, so it was portrayed so clearly, so uh, vividly in the passion of the Christ where Jesus was just abandoned, ridiculed, spat upon, taunted. There was one scene, and this is scriptural, but there was one scene in the Passion of the Christ near the end when Jesus was on the cross. The chief priests were there, the chief priests, the scribes, the one who had wanted him crucified, the ones who had turned him over to the Romans and demanded crucifixion. And one of those chief priests went right up to the foot of the cross and looked up at Jesus right in his face and said, ha, you were the one that said that you were going to, you know, the temple was going to be destroyed and you were going to restore it in three days. You can't even come off of that cross. He was taunting Jesus. The chief priest was ridiculing him. But Jesus didn't come to save himself. He came to save us. He came to be sacrificed so that we could be saved. He didn't come to save himself. Uh, his love for us is what was keeping him on that cross. So he was greatly rejected, greatly despised, and he was abandoned. But we, he traded up for us. In Ephesians, it says that we are the accepted of the beloved and that he will never, never abandon us. He will never forsake us. He will never let us go. Last week, we talked about the importance of embracing all of these. But as we embrace this facet of our salvation in the midst of a, a really difficult time of life, and you might feel alone, you might feel like you haven't seen the answers to your prayers. You might feel discouraged, disappointed, depressed, whatever. But when we embrace the fullness of salvation and look at what Jesus did for us so that we could be accepted and so that his presence, we would never be separated from him ever. We are reconciled un 
to him. We're reconciled unto our father face to face. When we embrace that, it enables us to keep our eyes on the prize instead of on the problem, instead of on the lies. And that's what the scripture says when it says that this helmet of salvation protects our thoughts from lies. We need that. We need that. That's where the problem usually is. It's in the mind. The battlefield's in the mind. Our soul needs to come into agreement with what is already ours instead of being in agreement with the problem. So that's number four. Number five, Jesus suffered tormenting pain so that we could be freed from pain. And when you're in a position of tormenting pain, like Barb, the woman I prayed for, and then later in that day, that pain was gone. Let me tell you, that's trading up. That's having something that is taking your, your attention. It's so difficult to put your eyes on Jesus when your body is screaming and the pain is so intense. But when the receiving happens, when that, that, that prayer is manifest, when that finished work of Jesus is manifest in your life and the pain is gone, it's, it's phenomenal. It's this, this breath of life. And Jesus took our pain. He carried our pain. He was completely tormented with pain so that we can be free from pain. I believe it. I believe it. I've experienced it, and it's awesome. And I'm believing it for all of you as well. And then number six, Jesus carried our diseases and our infirmities so that our physical bodies can be healed, but not only healed, made whole. Made whole. Yep, that's for you, Nathan. That's for everyone here. That's for you, my beautiful woman. That's for you, Debbie. That's for everybody here. That's for Matt, in Jesus' name. Made whole, perfected. So we're going to continue now with number seven this week. And this is where we're just going to start to drill down and, and meditate together. Jesus didn't just heal us in our physical body. That healing in our physical body is a benefit of our salvation, but so is healing of the soul. Number seven, Jesus suffered trauma and travail of soul so that we could be freed from the power of trauma and our souls could be healed and made whole. I don't have the scripture on the, on the overhead, but 3 John verse 2 says, I desire above all things that you prosper and are in health, even as your soul prospers. Our prosperity in every area of life, having our needs met, and the prosperity of our body, having our bodies whole, is in direct proportion to the healing of our soul, to the prosperity of our soul, to the health of our soul. I have a statement on your paper, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, explain it a little bit. The statement says, your past does not need to define your future. Amen. But we know that in many of our lives, in many of your loved ones' lives, it seems like their past is determining their future. 
It might be the past of their childhood. It might be the past of their marriage. It might be the past of some traumatic event in their life, a robbery, a, a, a rape, a, a neglect and abuse. And you see where that thing is completely um, affecting them in their life. But that need not be so. I'm not saying that, that, that it's erased, that it didn't happen. But what I am saying is that because of what Jesus did, I believe that the power of that trauma can completely be taken away. That the, the, um, the hurt, the woundedness, the um, effects from that trauma that seem to be following, those can be taken away. I believe that with all my heart. I have seen people completely healed of huge traumatic events. I shared one with you um, months ago, a pastor friend that I know, Pastor Christy who was brutally raped by, she was taken in, um, in a car by two men. They brutally raped her repeatedly, and then they threw her out of the car and attempted to run her over and leave her for dead. This is what she told me. She said, Cindy, I remember that event. I completely remember it, but it has no power over me. Her heart is to minister to women. She is a pastor's wife. She glows with the love of the Lord. I did a conference with her in L.A. several years ago. The title of the conference was Declared Free. Yeah, she's free. She, was, she lived through a huge trauma, but that trauma didn't stay with her because Jesus paid the price. She has received this complete fullness of salvation's deliverance. She has embraced the fullness of salvation's deliverance in the area of trauma, in the area of that great sin against her. And she's free. She's living free. And that's for all of us. Jesus paid the price. I'm going to read a couple of scriptures to show you when and where he paid that price. I'm sure it's more than just these instances, but these are big ones. The first one happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is Luke chapter 22, verse 44. It's after the Passover supper when he went with his three closest apostles to the garden to pray the night before he knew that he was going to be crucified. He knew what was coming. And these were his words. I'm sorry, these were the scripture's words. Jesus prayed even more passionately, like one being sacrificed, until he was in such intense agony of spirit that his sweat became drops of blood dripping onto the ground. That phenomenon of sweating blood is called hematidrosis, and it's science scientifically documented. What it is, is when a person is under great emotional stress, the tiny capillaries in the sweat glands can break, thus mixing blood with sweat. Now I have a question, and I'm not trying in any way to, to, um, to downplay what's going on or what has happened in your life. God bless you. Have any of you ever been in such emotional stress or trauma or travail of soul that you have sweat blood? I know I haven't. 
I don't see any other hands. Jesus did. Jesus did. His travail of soul, the torment that he was going through even before he was taken and, and uh, kind of went to trial, condemned to death, flogged, slapped, spat upon. Before all of that, he was sweating blood. He was experiencing trauma, torment for us. The next scripture is a prophetic word from Isaiah 53. This is what it says. Out of the terrible travail of soul, he'll see that it's worth it and be glad that he did it. Jesus was in such emotional stress that his body was, was bleeding from, the, from his pores. And out of that, he'll see that it's worth it and be glad he did it. You've probably heard this before, but it's worth repeating. And that is that you can, you can know how much something is worth by what someone is willing to pay for it. Well, look at what Jesus was willing to pay for our salvation. And part of that, part of this precious gift of salvation's deliverance is having a soul that is healed of our past. 1 Peter 2.24, this is a very familiar scripture. I'm reading it out of the Amplified today. This is a really beautiful scripture that shows us the depth of what Jesus did. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross. He willingly offered himself on it as on an altar of sacrifice so that we might die to sin, becoming immune from the penalty and the power of sin and live for righteousness. For by his wounds, you who believe have been healed. Amen. Let's start the second half of the scripture. For by his wounds, you who believe have been healed. First of all, this gift of salvation's deliverance is for those who believe it. For those who believe in Jesus as their savior, and I believe, there's too many believes in one sentence. <laughs> Sorry about that. Also for those who believe that by his wounds, we were healed. Those are the ones who are going to receive the healing. Those who believe that Jesus paid for our healing, that it is his salvation gift to us, that it is part of our inheritance and it's past tense for those who have, um, by his wounds, you who believe have been healed. That healing became ours the moment we received Jesus as our Savior in the spiritual realm. We haven't, many of us received it in completion in our physical realm, but it's ours in the spiritual realm. Our soul is the pivot point to get it from the spiritual realm into the physical realm. And that's why we're talking about that today to embrace the fullness of salvation's deliverance, to protect our, our thoughts from lies. So Jesus was wounded. He took the stripes on his back for our healing. In Greek, I want to make sure I say this right, 
the Greek word for wounds is trauma. The Greek word for wounds is trauma. When I learned that, I was overwhelmed. Because not only by the stripes on his back was my body healed, but by the trauma, by his trauma, you who believe have been healed. Trauma. Think about the trauma Jesus went through. Yes, his body was broken. He, uh, his back, his body was torn apart with the flogging. His head was pierced with thorns this long. He had huge spikes driven through his hands and his feet, and then he died on the cross of suffocation. He was probably so close to dead by the time they put him on that cross. Then he was separated from his father. That was the worst of everything, to be separated from the love of his father, to go to hell for those days when he was in the, when he was in the grave. But back up further in the scripture, he took all of our sin, all of humanity's sin into his sinless soul. The only human who had ever lived without sin took all of our sin into his body. That had to be traumatic torment. Glenn told me last week something that's really, I've been, I just, this is stuck with me. He told me he had a dream. And in his dream, he saw Jesus on the cross. And as he was looking at Jesus on the cross, he started to see our sins going into his body. He started to see our sins, the sins of humanity, going into the body of Jesus. And he said when they started, they were kind of one at a time, going in one at a time. But then it started going in fast, fast motion. And he said it was like I, I was trying to find something that would give me what Glenn was telling, but it was like as fast as you could flip pages in a book. They were just pouring, sin was just pouring into Jesus' body, and he could see it and he could hear it going into our Savior's body. That's trauma. That's terrible. That was probably the worst, one of the worst parts of his whole passion was taking our sin into his sinless body, into his sinless soul, into his sinless spirit. But he had to in order to take the judgment. Isaiah 53, verse 5. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. This is the prophetic word that was fulfilled through Christ. We see again, by his wounds, by his trauma, we're healed. But in the first part of the scripture, we see the prophetic word of how Jesus traded up. He took our trauma. By his trauma, we were healed. But that punishment, and that word punishment is chastisement in the New King James. It literally means punishment by whipping. The punishment that brought us 
shalom, that brought us peace, was upon him. Supernatural peace. Jesus paid for it. In John chapter 14, Jesus bequeaths us peace right before he dies. He, he talks to his apostles and he says, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give. I give you peace. And in the Amplified, it says, my peace I bequeath unto you. It was his last will and testament. And then he went to the cross and he took the chat. Well, first he took the chastisement. And then he went to the cross. He took the chastisement, the punishment for our peace. That word peace, shalom, is huge. You guys know what that word is. But I'm going to say it again because right now I am embracing the fullness of our deliverance. He was traumatized so that we could have peace, so that we could have shalom, tranquility, and contentment in the midst of the storm, so that we could have soundness in our spirit and our soul and our body so that we could be made complete so that God-sized hole that was in us could be filled with God so that we could be healed that's part of shalom healing and health welfare and prosperity having our needs met safety Nothing missing, nothing broken. All of that is part of shalom. He paid for it. He not only took our trauma, he gave us the potential for peace. Now, the reason I say the potential is because in order for us to receive that peace, we need to embrace the fullness of salvation's deliverance so that our thoughts are protected from lies. I want to share a story now of a woman that I've just met this week. I've not met her in person. I've only met her via the phone and via Facebook. But this is what I see. Her name's Hannah. Um, Jean connected us. Um, they have a ministry. Jean and Chuck have a ministry. They live in Arizona. Their ministry is Living Hope Cancer Foundation. And what they do is they do cancer coaching. So what they're called to do, first of all, they share their testimony. They share their stories. They share the testimony of what Jesus has done in their life all over the place. And they are on fire for Jesus. They glow with the love of the Lord. Um, but then they, can, they coach people that are in the midst of cancer battles. That's why they connected with Jean. They're coaching her and Matt through their journey. And they do one-on-one -on -one coaching. So their heart is to walk with people through their journey and to coach them. And their number one, their number one um, thing that they coach is, is faith, Jesus, prayer, the word of God, the promises of God. They also do coaching in the um, alternative things, juicing and exercise and stuff like that. Um, so that's kind of their ministry. They have both been cancer. They've both had cancer. They've both been healed of cancer in the past. Chuck has an amazing testimony, supernaturally being healed of stage four prostate cancer. The bottom line of his story is that his first medical center doctor group said there was nothing more that they could do, and they sent him home with hospice. 
the cancer had metastasized to his bones and he had fractures and he had lots of stuff going on in his body and he was, he was very, very sick. And I don't remember all of the details. It was an amazing story. But the bottom line is he went to another doctor, another center, and they said, we can treat this. And the treatment that he had, he chose to, to say, okay, I'm, I'm ready, I'm fighting, completely restored him more <laughs> than he could begin to expect. When they did the bone scan at the end and they looked at his bones before and after, they said if they hadn't seen the before, they never would have believed that was the same man. His bones were completely, absolutely perfect in every way. And he's well. Amen. Amen. You've heard that story, right, Glenn? That's you too. That's me too in Jesus' name. Anyway, um, he met his wife just not too long ago. And she had also um, been healed of cancer. And she, he had written a book and self-published it. And she was in the process of writing her story and was um, trying to figure out how to do the whole publishing thing. So they connected with this book. He was going to help her to just give her knowledge about how to do the self-publishing. Well, they ended up falling in love and getting married. Yeah. Um, they have been, um, they've only been married about a year, I believe. And they've been uh, just, oh, God, just opening doors everywhere for them to go and minister. Well, recently they did um, a tour. They're, they're traveling a lot and sharing their story all over. And they did a tour that was three or four states on the East Coast, the Southeast Coast. And as they were on their um, ministry tour, uh, Hannah started having pain in her body, pretty bad pain. And her husband, Chuck, wanted to cancel the rest of the tour and go home. But she said, oh, no, this is our calling. We're going to finish this. We're going to finish our tour. So they did. They finished their tour. They went home. And she was in a lot of pain. Um, again, I, don't, I might not be getting all of the details right, but she woke up about two weeks ago, and she wasn't able to sit up. Her back fractured. The cancer had reoccurred, metastasized in her back, and her back fractured in such a way that she couldn't sit up. They called of the ambulance. They took her to the hospital. And while she was there, they did some extensive radiation, some um, targeted radiation on that spot. They weren't able to do surgery yet, but they did the radiation. And um, after they did that, they sent her home. Now, this is where my story picks up that goes right here with this scripture. The chastisement of Hannah's peace was upon Jesus. This woman is walking in such peace of God that it's supernatural. The first picture that I want Kent to show you, I'm going to explain it to you. Kind of hard to see because it's not real big on the screen. But this is a picture of Hannah when she's coming out of the hospital. The people in the background are the, the nursing staff. She's not able to sit up at all. So she's on a stretcher. Her head is in the very far back. She, her head is bald. And she has a mask on. So that's her head. In her hand, she has her phone. The reason she has her phone held up is because when she exits the hospital, she's pray, playing praise music and smiling under that mask. That's how she got, that's how she exited the hospital. The next picture I want Kent to show you is a Facebook post. That's Chuck, and that's his wife, Hannah. And it says, 
This was the, the text with the, with the Facebook post. This girl chooses a smile, a little makeup, coaching cancer patients, and some worship music over depression and hiding in the covers. Go Hannah, go Hannah. Wow, that is God. That is the grace of God. That is the peace of God. This woman is ministering to that woman. Yes, right in this season. She lives in Arizona. She's in the midst of a battle of her own, but she is ministering throughout the whole thing because of, I believe, her thoughts are protected from lies. She's embracing the fullness of the salvation of Jesus's deliverance in every area, but specifically her, 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 her soul, her emotions. She's refusing fear. She's refusing depression. She's refusing, um, uh, you know, the travail of trauma and all that. She's lived through a lot, but she's saying, it doesn't matter. I'm going to, I'm going to smile for Jesus. And that's all there is to it. So Hannah, we pray for you right now. We come into agreement with our great big God and the fullness of salvation's deliverance. Jesus, by your stripes, Hannah was healed. By your trauma, Hannah was healed. By the blood that poured out of the wounds on your body, by the travail of your soul, by the torment that you carry, Hannah was healed. You carried her pain. You carried her disease. And we come in faith together in agreement for you, Hannah, believing that by the stripes of Jesus, your bones are made whole. Just like your husband's, just like Chuck. When the doctors did that scan and his bones were perfected, we are agreeing and believing that that is your testimony as well, that there is a prophetic word over you, that just as your husband's bones were completely made whole, so are yours in the name of Jesus and in the power of his love and his grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen, amen. Number eight on our sheet. Here's some more good news. Jesus defeated the principalities and the powers of darkness. So we can be free from the dominion of darkness. But there's more. He gave us dominion over the darkness. So here we were, the human race, from Adam all the way until Jesus' sacrifice, all the way, the enemy was in dominion on this earth over people, over humans. But Jesus changed that all. With the death that he died, with the sacrifice that he paid for, he took us out of that place of dominion of darkness. But he didn't just take us out of that dominion. He gave us dominion over the enemy. He traded up. Huge. But if we don't know it, if we don't embrace the fullness of this truth, then we buy the lies. We buy the lies that the enemy's still in control when he isn't. We, it's so important. God has been speaking this to me over and over and over. Embrace this. Embrace the fullness of salvation's deliverance. Embrace the fullness of truth that we've been transferred out of darkness and into the light. That we are no longer under the dominion of darkness. 
We've been, been given dominion over that darkness. Let me give you scripture to back up what I'm saying. Colossians 1.13. Jesus, he has rescued us completely from the tyrannical rule of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom realm of his beloved son. We live in the realm, the kingdom of God, the kingdom realm of the son of God. We've been transferred out of dark and into the light. I looked up that word tyrannical, and this is what it means. It means usurper of sovereignty. It means oppression and brutality. That's where we used to be, but we're not anymore. We've been delivered out of that place. That's not where we reside. Let me show you this part of the scripture that gives me evidence of this. This is Colossians chapter 2. He canceled out every legal violation we had on our record. That legal violation is what gave the enemy control over us. But Jesus canceled it out. He canceled out every legal violation we had on our record and the old arrest warrant that stood to indict us. He erased it all. Our sins, our stained soul. He deleted it all and they cannot be retrieved. Do you hear that? This isn't your computer where they can get in there and dig and retrieve stuff that you thought you had completely gotten out of the trash can. But they can still find it somehow. No, 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 not with our Jesus. They will never be retrieved. Everything we once were in Adam has been placed onto Jesus's cross and nailed permanently there as a public display of cancellation. Then Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness, stripping away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. The enemy can't accuse us of sin anymore. He can't accuse us of not being good enough for our healing. He can't accuse us of, of, of you know, being so bad that there's no way we could ever earn heaven. Nope, because all of the evidence has been removed. Jesus paid for it. And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them, the devil and his cohorts, around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner. They were his. Amen. Amen. I want to read to you now another scripture, Romans 8. I'm just going to kind of meditate on this with you. This is another scripture that is on my, my list of scriptures that God has just uh, blessing me with, um, loving me with, building me up with, healing me with, strengthening me with. And I believe it's for you as well. You go to the next slide, Kent. Who could ever divorce us from the endless love of God's anointed one? Think about that word divorce. Divorce has terrible connotations. When you think of divorce, you think of brokenness. You think of, of hate. You think of, of destruction. You think of being pulled apart, your life, just being pulled apart, broken, separated. This scripture says nothing 
will ever do that with you and God. Nothing. Absolutely no one. For nothing in this universe has the power to diminish his love toward us. Troubles, pressures, and problems are unable to come between us and heaven's love. What about persecutions, deprivations, dangers, and death threats? Oh, no, for they are all impotent to hinder omnipotent love. Just think for a minute. Whatever is in your life, whatever troubles, whatever problems, whatever uh, mountains are in your life or in the world around you, nothing has the power to separate you from the love of God. And I love the line in here that says they are all impotent to hinder God's omnipotent love. The word impotent means powerless and without strength. Cancer, you're powerless and without strength. Mental illness, you're powerless and without strength. Addictions, you're powerless and with no strength compared to my God. He's omnipotent. Omnipotent means unlimited power, influence, and there's one more word, and authority. Unlimited power, authority, and influence. That's my God. My God. When I embrace this truth, friends, because it's only yours when you believe it. The devil is a darn big, stupid devil. But my God is so much bigger and so much more powerful. But if we let the, the enemy's uh, stuff be so great and huge in our life, then, then we're believing the lies. God says, embrace the fullness of salvation's deliverance. Embrace my love that delivered you from all of this. Embrace it. And my omnipotent power will completely allow you to crush the enemy under your foot. Okay, now the next part is where we really talk about our dominion. Yet, even in the midst of all these things, we triumph over them all because God has made us to be more than conquerors. And his demonstrated love is our glorious victory over everything. Amen. That word, or there's three words, more than conquerors, is one Greek word, and it's hypernikeo, hypernikeo, and it literally means a glorious hyper-victory, a glorious hyper-victory. God's love and grace has made us hyper-conquerors, empowered to be unrivaled, and more than a match for any foe. Let's look at verse 37 again. Yet, even amidst, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what's going on in your body, no matter what's going on in your family, no matter what's going on in the world, yet, even in the midst of all these things, we triumph. That's number one. We triumph over them. We triumph over them. Number two, God has made us to be more than conquerors hyper-victorious, and 
through his demonstrated love, that's the death that he died for us to, to destroy the enemy's power, through his demonstrated love, we have glorious victory over everything. I get so excited when I meditate on this, when I read it, when I think about it, when I let this come alive. What does this do? It builds me up. It makes me feel like a hyper-conqueror. It makes me believe that what God says about me is true. It, it helps me to, to step into my true identity as a daughter of God. And that comes through embracing the fullness of salvation's deliverance. I've been delivered out of darkness and into light, and I am more than a conqueror, and so are you. Amen. Amen. And there's one more I want to talk about, number nine. Jesus set aside the privileges of his deity, and he became human. He chose to be stripped of his deity. When he came to earth, he was fully human. He was completely anointed with the Holy Spirit, but so are we. But he became completely human. He chose to be human. We talked about this last week. He needed to be in a human body in order to die a human death to do everything that we've talked about. So he was stripped of his deity, but there was a huge trade. There was an immense, great exchange because what he did, because of what he did, we now reign as kings and priests today, here, in our life, on this earth, with his delegated authority and power. Yes. So in the last, in number eight, I said that we have been delivered out of darkness and now we have dominion over darkness. We have authority. We have power. But unless we embrace that, meditate on it to the point where we agree with God and believe, we won't be walking in that power. We need to embrace it, believe it, and receive it. I want to read you scriptural evidence. Philippians 2, verse 6 through 8 from the Message Bible. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave. He became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death and the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. He humbled himself. He became a servant. He humbled himself even to die. He didn't have to die. He could have gotten off of that cross. He could have risen back into his position as, as, as the son of God before he paid the price. He could have. But he loved us to such an extent. Mm, Hebrews 2, 12, 2. For the joy of obtaining the prize, he endured the cross. After he died, after he was resurrected, he ascended into heaven. And he fulfilled a prophetic word that was spoken 
about him in the Psalms. It was Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord Father says to my Lord, the Messiah, his son, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet, subjugating them into complete submission. That was a prophetic word spoken about Jesus. I, that scripture has just been coming up. You know how when you read the Bible and you keep seeing the same thing over and over and over and the Holy Spirit keeps showing it to you? That's, that was first written in, in Psalms. But in the New Testament, especially in the epistles, it's repeated over and over and over again that Jesus was exalted to that place of the right hand of God. And this scripture is quoted. He has been highly exalted. And Father says, until I sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet, subjugating them under your authority into complete submission under your authority. Well, that's our Jesus. And that, I mean, he should be exalted. Look at what he did. Exalted to the highest place where every knee must bow and every tongue confess, Jesus is Lord. Amen. But the next scripture that I'm going to read is the one that overwhelms me because we also were elevated. We were crucified with Christ, our sin, our old life. We were crucified, but we were also, resur also resurrected with him and exalted to that place of highest honor. Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 6. But God still loved us with such great love. He is so rich in compassion and mercy. Even when we were dead and doomed in, and doomed in our many sins, he united us into the very life of Christ and saved us by his wonderful grace. So that's the part of being crucified with Christ. We were completely freed from our sin. The power of sin was destroyed once and for all. But look at verse 6. He raised us up with Christ, the exalted one, and we ascended with him into the glorious perfection and authority of the heavenly realm. For we are now co-seated as one with Christ. Whoa. Whoa. Christ was exalted. Christ was put in that position of being at the right hand of the Father of God, where every knee must bow, every tongue confess, where the enemy has made his footstool. And this scripture says that we are co-seated with Christ, with his authority, the glorious perfection and the authority of the heavenly realm. We live, we've been transferred out of darkness and into the heavenly realm, into the kingdom realm. We have been exalted. One of the scriptures I've been meditating on is Psalm 91. And near the end of the psalm, the last paragraph, it's, and I'm, I'm totally paraphrasing it. I didn't bring my, my scriptures with me that I'm declaring. But it's, it's, Jesus speaks it to me and he says, Cindy, because you love me, because you know my love, because you know my name, because you trust in me, therefore, and then there are seven promises. Therefore, I will rescue you. I will set you on high. 
And then he goes on, he says, I will honor you. I will satisfy you with a long life. I will show you the fullness of my salvation. And there's a few more that I, I've forgotten. But the one that says, I will set you on high. I was meditating on that one day. And this is what God spoke to me. He said, Cindy, come and sit at my right hand in Christ while I make your enemies your footstool, reduced under your power and authority. And that's for you. It's for me, but it's for you too, because that's our position. He literally said to me, and he's saying to you, come, embrace this. You've traded up. You weren't only crucified with Christ. You were exalted. You were resurrected and exalted with him. You are co-seated with Christ. Come, sit at my right hand in Christ while I make your enemies your footstool, subjugated under your power and authority. That's something to meditate on. Because no matter where you are, no matter how the enemy attempts to be stealing, killing, and destroying, when you see yourself in that position, and when you use your authority, speak your authority, declare your authority, speak to the darkness and command it to go, you will see that come to pass. Because Father says so, and I believe him that the enemy is reduced under my power and my authority. If you are a believer in Jesus, you too are raised up with him, raised into glorious perfection and authority. And God makes your enemies your footstool too, subjugated into complete submission under your authority because you are in Christ. 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. That's you. A holy nation his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We have a lot to proclaim. We have a lot to share. We have a lot to get excited about and tell people about, right, Glenn? Amen. And last scripture, Revelations 5, verses 9, 9, uh, 9 and 10. They were all singing this new song of praise to the Lord, and this was their song. Because you were slaughtered for us, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. Your blood was the price paid to redeem us. You purchased us to bring us to God out of every tribe, language, people group, and nation. You have chosen us to serve our God and formed us into a kingdom of priests who reign on this earth. That's you and me. We're a kingdom of priests, and we reign. The word reign in that scripture is written in the present tense in the Greek language. That means that we reign now in present tense on this earth. This isn't the, the reign that comes after the enemy has been um, in um, hell for a thousand years and comes back. No, no. We reign now. We'll reign then too, but we reign now. So I'm going to close with this, and then we're going to pray. I want to share with you three ways that I exercise my authority and my power. God's given it to me. He said, Cindy, come up here. Come up here. The enemy's under your feet. You have authority. You have power. And all three of them have to do with 
words. The first one, I speak the word of God over the problem. The word of God is alive, it's powerful. And when I believe it, it is operative. It is active. It is filled with energy. So I speak the word of God over the situation. Number two, I speak to the mountain. God has told us to do that. He doesn't tell us to ask him to speak to the mountain or ask him to move the mountain. He tells us to tell the mountain to move. So I do, I do what he tells us to do. There's creative power in our words. We're made in the image of God and that's what God does. He speaks and his words create. In the beginning, he spoke. He said, light be. And there was light. Light was created. Day was separated from dark. The whole creation story happened with the words of God. We have creative power in our words. And we can speak life. We can speak life to things that should live. And we can speak death to things that should die. We can tell mountains to move. Speak to the mountain. That's another way to exercise your authority. And the third way is to pray the powerful, to speak the powerful blessing. The blessing is powerful. Blessing and multiplication go hand in hand. Pastor Tim has an amazing teaching on the power of the blessing. And I have taught on the power of the blessing as well. And I'm not going to teach on it now because that's another whole teaching. But this is what I do. I speak blessings specifically over different things. Um, you know that I'm in the middle of my own healing, healing, period. I'm getting healed. God is manifesting the healing in my body. It's awesome. But this whole time I've been speaking blessings, specific blessings. I speak blessings over my body in general. So, well, in specific, actually, I speak blessings over my bones. I speak blessings over my organs. I speak blessings of protection. I speak blessings when I'm um, in the midst of getting um, chemo and immunotherapy treatment. I speak over that medicine that's dripping into my veins. Lord, bless this chemo medicine. Make it yours. It doesn't have to be what they created. Theirs is good. They know what they're doing, but yours is better, Jesus. Bless it. I speak blessings over it. I speak blessings over my doctors. I speak blessings over, uh, over myself. Lord, bless me with your amazing peace, your strength, your joy, your energy, your everything. So I speak blessings. I do this in many settings in my life. I won't go into detail right now, but anything that's broken, speak blessings over. I have a couple of kids that are um, not following Jesus. I don't, I don't tear out my hair and, you know, uh, rent my clothes and all that stuff. No, no, no. I speak blessings over my children. I, and I've seen many of them come to pass, not all of them yet, but I speak blessings over them all the time. So the power of the prayer of blessing is another way to stand in your authority. So I wanted to give you a little bit of the how to stand in this authority as well. So Papa, I just thank you for the fullness of your salvation that you provided. I thank you for your plan. God, it was amazing. I thank you, God, that you would give us your son. 
I'm in awe, Lord, of your love. I thank you for the price that Jesus paid, not just on his death, but his whole life. He gave, he gave, and he continued to give. He healed, he loved, he poured out compassion and grace. He accepted, he never, never um, uh, excluded. He always accepted everyone. His love was a beautiful picture of your heart, Lord. We thank you. Father, may we truly embrace the fullness of what you've done for us. May we grow. May that revelation grow, God. May, may the revelation of the work of the cross grow bigger and stronger, just like giving Glenn that dream. Lord, I ask for dreams for your people, for myself and for your people. Give us dreams. Increase our revelation. Grow us so that we can embrace what you've done to an even greater degree. And I pray for all of your people here, Father God. I pray that the helmet of salvation protects their thoughts from lies, that the deceiver has no more power because the word is alive in their heart and in their mind and nothing can ever sway them from the powerful truth of your word. God, we love you with all our heart. Thank you for healing us, for saving us, for delivering us, for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay.